go. We can't all be missionaries. We're not all called to go to places where the gospel is not preached. But I can tell you this. We can all be part of a church that does go and does send people and does care about the world. We know it's not practical for every one of us to go find an unreached people group, but we can at least care and turn our hearts towards the need instead of turning our hearts away from the need. So last year, I was talking to the Lord, and I knew a day was going to come. A day was going to come where more influence was going to come to my ministry, when larger crowds would come, when greater opportunity would come. I didn't know that the church would triple in one week, but God has a way of doing that. I thought that time of greater influence might be some time off through the practical means, but I told God this. When the momentum comes and when the influence comes, God, help me turn that outward and not inward. Because it's so easy to take the momentum and the influence and, and just to let it be self-gratifying. Or self-gratifying. Thank you. I have at least one of those a Sunday in case you're not visiting. So it's like a game. We try to discover them together. Turning things inward seems so natural. It seems so right. Man seems to approve it because, let's face it, we like to compare, especially here in the South, we like to compare our church with their church. What is your church doing? Our church is doing this. Our church is doing that. We have this. You have that. That's so natural. And there are obvious needs that need to be addressed within our body. So I'm not suggesting that any inward focus is inappropriate or wrong. But I'm just saying this. If we want to be the church of power, the church of influence, if we want to be part of something that we're all going to be proud of when we stand before God in eternity, then we've got to turn our focus outward and be concerned about the things God's concerned about and not just focus on this one vine that brings us shade, but focus about cities and people groups that don't know their right hand from their left. That is what will make us a powerful, influential, and the most relevant church there is. Our relevancy doesn't happen by what happens on stage. Our relevancy happens by touching the needs of people God cares about that others are overlooking. That's what makes us relevant to the world. So why should we care for lost people? Let me suggest a few things. Here's the first thing. is We, we care for lost people because lost people matter to God. We care for lost people because lost people matter to God. Well, you're like, no kidding, Aaron. What kind of deep point is that? Well, the reason I say that is because lost people don't always matter to us. We judge them. We marginalize them. We give them names. We label them because it's a lot easier to label a group of people than it is to understand them or to get to know them. Lost people matter to God. That's His heartbeat. That's what caused him to come to this earth. That's what caused him to give his life. And that's the reason that if you're a Christian or sitting before me today, it's because you matter to God. And he created your life so that you would know him and you would seek him. The greatest enemy we have to the great commission that Jesus has given us is the enemy of indifference. The ability to shrug our shoulders, the ability to turn our head, the ability to give the responsibility to somebody else. Like Jonah, we care more about our personal comfort than those great, 
great cities that are unreached. Jesus said it this way. No, Paul made this point in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. He says, I urge you then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may lead, live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior. Look at verse 4 with me, 1 Timothy 2. Who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. I'm so glad that when other people didn't care about you or care about me, God cares. God cares that every person comes to a knowledge of truth. He wants all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. That's the heart of God. And that's His desire. And as we seek Him, and as we stay in His presence, and as we have great worship experiences like Him, we see Him, we become like Him. And can I tell you that the more spiritual you are, the more you'll care for those who don't know Christ. That is a test of spirituality. Caring for those who don't know God. Jesus, number two, why should we care about lost people? Because Jesus commanded us to spread his message. Coming straight from him. Can I tell you that evangelism is not an option? Missions is not an option? That, that we spread the message of Jesus out of a direct command from him. We're not some uh, weird branch of Christianity that said, hey, we have to propagate ourselves and, and we've got to... You know, if we don't if we don't share the message, we're not going to have certain credits in heaven, or we might not get in. We better earn some works, and so we better go. Because if I don't tell people about Christ, I might not make it into heaven. Thank God that telling people about Christ doesn't have anything with us getting into heaven or not. So every preacher who wants to make you feel guilty about that, just they don't know their Bible. You don't earn your way into heaven. It's a gift from God. So we. Go and we share the message of Christ and we take it to people not to get into heaven and not to earn a different level in heaven. We do it out of obedience. Simply, he told us to do it and so we do it. Go to Matthew 28, 19. This is our mission statement. Our mission statement that was discovered way beyond before corporations began having mission statements. Right? Our mission statement was came directly from the mouth of Jesus that said, therefore, he's about to ascend to the Father, go and make disciples of all nations. Now, let me pause and, and remind you of something. He said, don't just go throw up a PA system on the, uh, out in the field somewhere and uh, get you know entertain people and then leave and say, hey, look at the crowd we had. You know, or, or, you know, set up on a street corner and, and do some mime and stuff and then disappear and never put them in a church? Get a name on a card? May appease your conscience? That's not what he said. He said, go and make disciples. Disciples means disciplined people. People who know how to follow Christ. That's why around the world it's more than just uh, strategically placing missionaries. We need to put Bible schools and Bible colleges and train pastors and get people discipled. Again, don't you think that in order to do that, we have to have some discipleship here among our people? Right? Right? we got to start with us also. So it says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the, and of the Holy Spirit, now 20, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That's one of the last things, or maybe the last thing Jesus said. He said, I'm going, now you go. You go and make disciples of all nations. 
And so if Jesus said that, why in the world would I want to be part of a church that didn't care anything about going? Why would I want to be a part of a church that didn't care about sending? That's why God's called us together, because no one can do it all by themselves. But together, we can make a difference. Together, we can go. Together, we can sin. Together, we can take our influence and change the world and impact the world. Acts 1.8 says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You will receive power and then you'll be my witnesses. You know that in the last 100 and 105 years, we've had an outpouring of God's Spirit known as a charismatic movement, the baptism of the Holy Spirit that has come. And many of you have experienced that. Some of you are curious about it. But can I tell you that the reason the outpouring of the Holy Spirit came and the giving of His power is because in the 1800s, people began to take serious Matthew 28:19 and said that if we don't have something, if we don't have some kind of power from God, we're not going to change the world. And the birthing of the full gospel message came from a heart for missions. And the nonsense that's going on today doesn't have anything to do with the original roots. Can I tell you that uh, the power of God, the empowerment of the Spirit, is meant for evangelism and missions, not for making you feel better or making you uh, uh, have goosebumps. That's what it's for. If you want to be a powerful church, if you want to be a church of revival, if you want to be a church where the outpouring of the Spirit happens, it starts by giving a heart for missions because why would God give a genuine outpouring of His power if we don't know what to do with it? And what we do with it is we do nonsense. We play with the power of God. We do stupid stuff that, frankly, is embarrassing. Is embarrassing. And it makes us look foolish to the world because we are playing with the power of God, not using it for its purpose. Its purpose is to be its witness, to, to demonstrate signs and wonders so that unbelievers will come to know the Lord, not so you can market it and resell it and pay it, pay for it. Why does Jesus call us to, to care for lost people? Here's a, here's a simple point, is that our faith, number three, is the result of missions. Our faith is a result of missions. Now, I don't know how many, uh, and I know there are some, and I'm sure in this room there are several, but I know that Hendersonville, Tennessee is not just a hotbed for the Jewish community. I mean, we don't have a whole lot of synagogues and uh, a lot of observation of the Jewish days and so forth. So I would assume most of us are Gentiles here, meaning we are not of Jewish descent. And if it wasn't for missions, if it wasn't for someone being sent, if it wasn't for someone going, can I just then we would not be Christians today. We would not know Christ. Now I don't need to. I don't want to mess up your theology here. Or, or, well, maybe I do. I know this might shock some of you, but Jesus Christ was not an American. We've only been around since 1776. Okay? Jesus Christ was a Jew. And he, in his ministry, targeted the Jews. And in fact, he even said that I'm here to reach the Jews. 
And he wasn't, he prophesied that he would reach the Gentiles and he reached out to some Gentiles. But he was focused on the Jewish people. But he stirred and he revealed himself to a man named Saul. And Saul became Paul. And Paul became a missionary. And Paul began to see that the faith that we have goes outside of the Jewish faith. And so he said this in Galatians 2, 8 and 9. He says it this way. He says, on the contrary, they saw, this is Paul speaking, that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. I assume that's most of us. Just as Peter has been called to the Jews, for God who was at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews, who also was also at work in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Peter, and John, those reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me, and they agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. Can I be frank with you that if there hadn't been an apostle to the Gentiles, and if the Jewish, if Paul, who was a Jew, and Barnabas, who was a Jew, and those others who were sent to the cities and around the Mediterranean, to, to Asia that spread throughout the world, if they hadn't been willing to go, you and I may not be Christians today. Now, why is that important? Because the first century, the first century Jews, they could have said, and many of them did, those Gentiles, they deserve to go to hell. It's their grandparents' fault. It's their stupid culture they have. They'll always be the way they are. They'll never change. We, we hold the Torah. We hold the prophets. We now know the Messiah. Let's keep it to ourselves. Can I tell you that's the exact attitude most of the American church has? We say the stupid Muslims, the stupid Buddhists, the rest of this world, their dumb culture, those dumb people, if they were Americans, if, if, if they had the right kind of founding, if they knew democracy, if they understood individual liberty and had the Jeffersons and Washington to lead them, then they would be a Christian nation. Can I tell you that the, the torch is in South America now anyway before we get so prideful about our nation that probably in our children and grandchildren's lifetime, missionaries are going to come, be coming to our nation to resurrect us because that's where the trends are now. And I just want to say this is that a prideful nation, a prideful people won't sin. They'll just focus on themselves and focus inward because let the world go to hell because we're Americans and we deserve to be saved. Can I tell you that if the early first century Jews would have had that attitude, you and I might not be saved today. Here's a fourth thing. Why does God care about the world or why should we care about the world? Is because we live in a day with our greatest global opportunities. We live in a day with our greatest global opportunities. This Wednesday, I want to speak to you a little bit more about this. I want to talk to you about globalization and, and how it affects our lives. And I'm going to give you some secular teaching and, uh, within the scope of the, the Scripture to help you put your mind about what is happening in our world right now. Our communication is at a level none of us could dream. We're traveling at a pace uh, with frequency we, for frequency we never imagined. We have open borders. Good or bad, it opens us up that we can have access to almost any nation in the world. Any nation in the world. We have opportunities before us that we've never had before. You know, it used to be not long ago that you would only meet a person who had been to India or China. You might meet a person like that just once in your life. Can I tell you that just in this church that I already know of uh, several men who travel to China, uh, India on a regular basis that have contact with them. 
because now the world has changed before us that we're not being sent as missionaries to different nations. We're just being sent by IBM and other companies. The world has totally changed. And you know what? It can be a little scary and it can be alarming. And, and we can focus on, oh, you know, this could be like the dragon with the ten horns and all that in Revelation. I understand that, and, and you can maybe teach me some things about that. But all I know is there's a window of opportunity. There's a chance. There's a green light. There's an open door from God. There's an opportunity that you have to be involved in missions that your parents didn't have and your grandparents didn't have and the people before them didn't have. And there's a power that can come upon you. And so why does that make a difference in your life? It's because this is your time. This is your generation. These are the years that you live in. And this is your world. This is the world that you live in. And you have that responsibility. That's the last thing I wanted to share. Is The fifth thing is that we're responsible. We're responsible. We are making history today. Can I tell you that subsequent generations won't look back and say, what songs did they sing? Did, did the preacher wear a suit or jeans? Me, I just throw you off. I just go back between each Sunday. I don't want you to know. I'll probably have a suit on next week. What style? Who do they like? The stuff that we are concerned about. History won't care. History won't judge us. But they'll want to know, what did we do about the lost and dying? What did we do about the social needs in our day, in our years, in the times that we existed? We are writing our history. We are making our history. And when your life comes to an end and you stand before God, what you have been a part of, that's what's going to make a difference. And so why is this practical Why does this mean something to you? Why is this more than just another boring missions talk? Here's why. Because I want your life to count. I want your life to matter. I want you to be part of something bigger than yourself. And I'm here to lead a cause. I'm here to lead a revolution. I'm here to lead a church that's going to make a difference in the world. And then we look back at our lives we say, I was part of something special. I was part of something unique. I was part of something bigger than myself. I changed the world because I was part of a group of people that God had called together and God had knit our hearts and God had made us focus on what He wanted and what He needed in the world and what His heart was. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for my leadership. I want Indian Lake to go global. I want us to change the world. And you might say, well, we're a small church. How can a little church like ours change the world? We can do it through His power, through just caring by not turning our head away, but turning our head towards what He has and what He wants. And it starts with prayer. It starts with praying for the nations, praying for the community, praying for the schools. It starts by giving, giving of our resources and realizing that it's more than just a fundraising technique. It's a call from God to take the prosperity and the blessing that we have and to share it with the people in the world who need Him. It's about us going. It's about us going a short-term mission trip. I'm so glad that Pastor Mike's taking a group of 16 in Mexico this year. We might go to New York later on this year. We're going to have different opportunities. I know that Doug Bagwell has talked about going to Bangladesh next year and teaching in their Bible schools. Wouldn't it be great that we could be a sending church, that we're sending people short-term to go and they're taking their vacation time and they're taking their, their resources to go encourage the church abroad. But I think it's even more than that. I believe that in our midst, our missionaries, 
I believe in our midst are people who can change the world, who can go to places where the gospel hasn't been preached. And you know what? We might not all be able to go, but if we come together as a church, we're going to send a lot of people to go. And it can happen. And that's why I'm in this. And that's why I want us to go global for Him. Amen? Amen. I want you, you guys to come on up at this time. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for a second.